It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. As I've mentioned, we have students here for our week-long discipleship training. And so we've asked some of our staff to present the Daily Thunders this week. Well, today is going to be a doozy. But before we jump into today's Daily Thunders, I just want to remind you that if you're behind on any of the Daily Thunder series that we're currently walking through, whether it be Eric's World War II series, my Ephesians or Christian Mindset series, you can get all the past episodes by going to ellersley.com forward slash daily, where you will see a link to all those past episodes. And as a reminder, if you have not yet subscribed to the Daily Thunder podcast, can we encourage you to go to your favorite podcast player and subscribe so you never miss an episode? Well, in today's Daily Thunder, we have special guest Dan McConaughey, and he's going to be talking about the importance of not just starting well in the Christian faith, but going the distance. Well, good morning. How is your week long going? Going well? Wonderful, did you say? Okay. I like that idea. Do you guys know what the, uh, the antithesis to wonder is? <laughs> did he say something? <laughs> here, I'll, get, I'll get closer here. <laughs> anyway, the antithesis to wonder. She said it was wonderful. And if you, if you notice in Luke 1, where, and there's, by the way, there's a reason that I'm saying this. I did not prompt her to say that, whoever it was, whichever the, it was her. <laughs> we, we like blame shifting around here. <laughs> um, anyway, in Luke 1, we have the story of Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad. And John the Baptist's dad was a priest, quite an extraordinary priest when it comes down to it. He was elderly. He was of the tribe of Aaron. He was of the high priestly tribe. And he got selected by lot for a one, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer incense on the altar of incense. It was just an amazing opportunity. At the time, there was approximately 20,000 qualified priests in Jerusalem, and he got selected. Pure chance, right? Pure chance. <laughs> and so he's an old priest. He's of the order of Aaron. He's, he's actually even potentially in line to be the high priest, which they had to choose once a year. Anybody know why they had to choose a priest once a year? I don't know either. <laughs> but it says in Hebrews that the fact that they chose a new priest once a year was evidence that the offerings by one priest one time was not sufficient. And that's why Jesus, who had the, a never-ending life, was able to offer once for all. But back to Zacharias. He obviously knew well 
all the laws, all the history, all the miracles, all the defeats, all the, all the prophecies, all the psalms. He knew it all. He knew it all. And so he was standing there by the altar of incense, and Gabriel, it says, Gabriel appeared to him. It doesn't say that he had a vision of Gabriel. It says that Gabriel actually, literally appeared to him. And then he made an interesting statement. It says, and Zacharias was troubled in his heart. And so Gabriel tells him some things. He says, Gabriel, I mean, Zacharias, your prayers have been answered and your wife will have a son. So let's just take that at face value. What does that mean Gabriel was doing? I mean, Zechariah was doing. If Gabriel says, your prayers have been answered and your wife will have a son, what does that mean Zacharias was doing? He was praying for a son. Now, a man of his spiritual stature, of the tribe of Aaron, an elderly priest, my assumption is that he was praying with faith. Because his prayer was answered. What kind of prayer is answered? The prayer of faith. And God heard his prayer, and his prayer was going to be answered. He was, his wife was going to have a son. This is pretty impressive stuff. And then he says what he's going to be like. He says, and your son, whose name he got a little bit later on, he says, and your son is going to turn the hearts of Israel back to the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. You know what the last comment in the Old Testament was? That somebody was going to come who is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, who is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And here's Gabriel telling this priest, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son. And this is who he is. Now, I don't know how you guys would respond, but Gabriel responded by saying, right, prove it to me. He says, how can I know this is going to be true? So we have a sequence. We have a godly man who had an angel appear to him and was troubled in his heart. He had a troubling experience. <clears throat> and he responded with doubt. Now the same chapter, about eight verses later, we have Mary. What was the name of the angel that appeared to Mary? Gabriel, same angel. What was Mary's response? She was troubled in her heart. What was Gabriel's message? You're going to have a son. Almost the same message. But Mary's response was so different. Mary's response was, 
I wonder how God is going to make this happen since I am not married. She didn't doubt that God was going to do it. She wondered how he was going to do it. I want to suggest to you guys that one of the, one of the most active ways that the enemy is getting young people in the church today is by making them doubt when they have a troubling experience. They say, well, why did my mom, why did God take my mom? I'm not going to believe anymore. God didn't take your mom. And even if she did, do we believe, do we know that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose? And do we respond the right way, the way James said? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations and tests, knowing this, that the testing of your faith will give patience. Why? Because according to Romans 5, we also know that tribulation works patience. I mean, three clear statements that our response determines whether or not we're going to grow. That's what, that's what it says. Because in, in James 1, 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What's our first response when we fall into a trial? Count it all joy. Why? Knowing this, that the testing of our faith worketh patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking nothing, fully equipped for every good work. How many of you want to be perfect, mature, lacking nothing, and fully equipped for every good work? Amen. Yeah. Then why do you avoid and why do you respond poorly to trials? What's your favorite thing to avoid? Difficulty, right? The very thing that God said, by the way, guys, this is what I use to make you strong. And we say, but God... Do you think he likes being called that? But God? I don't think so. I think that we need to have a change in our responses. I think rather than doubt, we need to wonder. We need to look at this thing that happens and we say, man, like, I have a daughter named Grace. How many of you know who Grace is? She's not very healthy. She hasn't been healthy for a long time. And we don't see any prospect, naturally, of her getting her health back. And we, haven't, we, we have been praying and praying and praying for years and years and years. And we haven't seen a healing take place. Now, we have a choice. She has a choice. We can either respond well or respond poorly. We respond poorly, we doubt. Now, how do you spell doubt? D-O-U-B-T. What is another word that you knows, know that starts out with D-O-U-B? Double. That's because they come from the same word. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's what a doubting man is. Did you know that people who don't have faith don't doubt? Because doubt is a second 
thought, a second mind about what you believe. So if I don't believe in God, I'm not going to doubt there's a God. And if I believe there's no God, I may doubt that there's no God, which is a good step to take. But it's not a good step to take to believe in God and doubt that there is a God, because the next step is away from God. So we have a double-minded man who's unstable in all of, all of his ways. And Jesus in Matthew 18, I mean Matthew 8 said, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? So I wanted to talk a little bit today about, I, I, at the end of a session, or at the end of a semester, I like to, to give a uh, daily thunder on finishing well. But the reality is that's not where you guys are at yet. You still have 100 days left, maybe. <laughs> so we're going to talk more about the middle part. Starting well is where we get a good start. And finishing well is where we make a good finish. But running well is where you guys are. You're still on the running well part. And we happen to live in a culture where finishing, not finishing, is fine. I don't know. Do you guys like national, national days like National Day of or National Something Day? Do you know what January 17th is? January 17th is National Quitters Day. National Quitters Day. Isn't that a fun thing? What do we call it? You know, what do we what do we call National um, What's a national day that we have? How about National Veterans Day? Isn't that what it is? It's a national day, and it's to celebrate veterans. But National Quitters Day, though, man. But I was just talking with Russell, and, and we were talking about some things. Look at the number of divorces. This, this year, since March, is the first time in about 40 years that U.S divorces have fallen below 50%. And they attribute, it, they attribute it to the fact that having the COVID restrictions kept the husbands and wives together enough to keep them from getting divorced. Isn't that ridiculous? Here, let's get sick so we can stay married. Unfortunately, it's the same, just about the same. It's a little bit higher in the church than it is in the world. How about the number of abortions? We like to quit marriage. We like to quit our pregnancies. How about dropouts? High school, college dropouts. And in fact, the generation I'm, I'm not familiar with the statistic on this generation, but the generation before yours 
if you're between 18 and 25, it'd be the one that is probably turning 30 to 32 right now. Has the highest high school and college dropout rate in the history of the United States. You don't want to study. You don't want to finish school. How about job hopping? How about church hopping? How about leaders falling? We've had a, a, an <coughs> epidemic of church leaders falling. How about suicide? Here, as of December, past this past December, sweet little town of Windsor had nine high school suicides. Little town of Windsor. How about the legalizing of euthanasia? Not even letting old guys like me finish, or at least making us finish early. And then this one is an interesting spin on it. How about the idolizing of youth and the disregarding of the elderly? Anybody familiar with how Proverbs describes an older person who has white hair? What are they called? Wise, the glory of their age. And if you look at what's going on, we idolize, we as a nation idolize young preachers, young leaders, young thises and young thats, young brides, young husbands. We idolize those things at the expense of the wisdom and leadership of godly age. We unfortunately didn't have that opportunity to vote on somebody who was godly this year. But we did have two old guys. So we, we, we're in the midst of a society that is where quitting is thriving. Quitting is thriving. Now, in the, in the population of world-class runners, when runners are world-class, they're at their best. They are fully trained. I mean, they have trained to the extreme. And this is mainly long-distance runners that I'm talking about. But the main difference between them is not the quality of their training or the quality of their strength or the, the, the finesse that they have when they run. The main difference between a world-class long-distance runner here and one here is their willingness to endure pain and the strength of their intention to win. If you look at history, and some of you are history buffs, some of us are history, okay? <laughs> if you look at history, you'll find out that almost every race, every war, 
Every athletic competition and every battle was won or lost before the battle was fought. It was won or lost before the battle was fought. So, I have a, a favorite little saying that came from, the, that was actually the title of a book that I really don't like. And it wasn't until a little bit later when I was reading something else that I probably don't like very well either that I found out that the guy who wrote the book borrowed that title from somebody who he shouldn't have borrowed it from. Who, because it's a Christian book, but it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I really like that. I think that's what life is about. You can put almost anything in there. A long obedience. A long repentance. A long um, endurance. That, that's what life is about. Now, that was written by a guy. I don't like the book that he wrote or I don't, don't appreciate him as, as an author at all, but I really like the title of it. He borrowed it from a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche, who was one of the founding philosophers of Marxism and communism. So I don't like that either. But it is a neat little saying, because it's true. That's what life is. Is it repentance, if you have to, continue, if you have to repeat it, or is it repentance when it is a life lived. So, finishing well comes at the end. Starting well, starting well is important. We, we, had, a, we had a young couple here who had a, well, they got pregnant. They were excited about their baby until the ultrasound showed that the baby had no kidneys. And the baby acted alive, it, it, it gave all the evidence. You know, the heart rate was good, it was not under stress, the, everything was good except it didn't have kidneys. Well, that's because it was not utilizing his own kidneys at the time, being connected to his mom, and um, we prayed that the baby would survive and that the, God would perform a miracle and that the ultrasounds would be wrong and everything. And the baby was born, and how long did the baby live? 11 hours, and then died. He didn't have a good start. He didn't have a good start. Now the question I have is, how are we in the gospel that we received? Did we make a good start? Some of you have heard of Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort says, if you tell somebody, you know, come to Jesus. He'll solve your problems. He'll fix your marriage. He'll fix your family. He'll, you know, he'll make life great. And so they say, wow, this is, this is what I've been looking for. Remember that escape from trials, tribulations? Come to Jesus. He'll solve your problems. Make everything great. So we come to Jesus, and what do we get? The promised trials, tribulations, persecution, suffering. And we think, God failed me. So, if you get the wrong start, it's going to make it more difficult. 
That's why in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, examine yourselves to make sure you are in the faith. Not to make sure that you have faith. I don't know if you realize it, but every single, in, every single person in the world lives by faith. Now, I always keep a watch on people when they walk in. Because I noticed that every single one of you sat down by faith. Not a single one of you checked to make sure that, you're set, that the chair that you sat in was sound before you sat down in it. You just believed it was. You sat down. You go to the store and buy a bottle of water. You don't send it to the lab to see if it's pure. You go and eat the food that they cook in the kitchen here. You don't check it to make sure that it doesn't have Ebola or E. coli or salmonella. Or You don't check any of that. We live by faith. So when he says, examine yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith, he's talking about the content of your faith, which Jude talked about when he says, brothers, I wanted to write to you about some encouraging things, but I need to let you know that you need to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. So we need to know that the content of our faith is right. And we need to appropriate it. We need to get a good start. Salvation, according to um, Romans 5, is our introduction to a, an eternal event. It's not just, okay, now, you know, I had that event called salvation, and when somebody said, are you saved? Yeah, I was saved. My parents, my parents tell me that I was saved when I was five years old have no recollection of it at all. They tell me that I came home from Sunday school and asked them to pray with me and that they prayed with me, and I appreciate all that. That's, that's nice. I appreciate the training that they gave me. But when I was 17 years old, I recall sitting in a church service, and I was praying, and something startled me, and I looked up, and I looked around, and I saw you know, every... Every few people, every one or two of them was skeletons. I looked around and, you know, there was skeletons scattered throughout the, the church. I looked at myself and I was a skeleton. And so as I prayed about it, I realized that the reason that I was a good boy is because my parents trained me well, not because of the Holy Spirit. And so at 17, I recognized that I was not saved and I needed to be saved. And so there was a change in my life at that time. And it was a real offense to people. It was a real offense to my parents, to the church, everything like that. But I recognized myself as not having had a good start. I needed to have a good start. Um, the Bible refers to a false a different, a distorted, a contrary, a polluted, and an adulterated, and an incomplete gospel. It says all of those are available to us. Paul even says in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, he says, I fear, well, even going back further, he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because 
I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Okay, I want you to listen really close to this. As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that you also will be distracted from the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. Now, think about that. As. What part of speech is as? What's it called? A simile. It's a simile. It's saying these two things are alike. As the serpent deceived Eve, so also you would be distracted. Are you ever distracted? Let's look at the consequence. What was the consequence of Eve's being deceived? Death. What's the consequence of our being distracted? Death. We don't take scripture seriously, do we? We think it's okay to be distracted. As the serpent deceived Eve, so also you will be distracted. Distracted by what? Well, look at Revelation 2. Church at Ephesus. Your doctrine's right. Your theology is good. You've got good discernment. You're doing excellent works. The only thing you're lacking, one thing, you've lost your first love. That was written in 92. Eight years before the turn of the century. In 110, Ignatius wrote a church, <clears throat> wrote a letter to the same church, the church of Ephesus, and told him, guys, you haven't got your act together yet. You need to get your act together. And in the year 200, 108 years later, in the year 200, there was a group of Christians on a pilgrimage walking through Ephesus, and we actually have the letter that they wrote in a museum in London. And that letter says, we find no evidence of Christianity or the church in Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus, when it was at its peak, Ephesus was a town of about 350,000 people. The church at that time is estimated to be in the vicinity of 120 to 140,000 people. That was an extraordinary church. Think of the people who led it. Apollos, Paul, Timothy, Titus, John the Apostle, Mary the mother of Jesus, Ignatius. I mean, man. What would our churches be like if we had Paul come and be our teacher for three years? Or would he even be willing to do that in our churches? And yet, in the year 200, the church was not even existent because what had they done? They hadn't done the three things that Jesus told them they had to do. They didn't remember from where they were fallen, they didn't repent, and they didn't do again their first deeds, their first deeds of uh, first love. We're not exempt from things, guys. Even a good start doesn't guarantee a good finish. But running well is where it all happens. There's three, four ways that the scripture talks about running well. It says to run well by holding fast, by running according to the rules, 
by running with endurance and running so as to win. Those four things. Holding fast, according to the rules, with endurance, and so as to win. This is where it all happens. This is where the growing and the building and the maturing and the strengthening. I have a message called Anti-Fragile that teaches us that it's the very things that shred our muscles that make us stronger. There was a, there's a study called dendrology. It's the study of long-stemmed woody plants, otherwise known as trees, that a guy over in England in 182, in a big cliff that overlooked the northwest uh, sea in England, he planted a series of trees. He planted about 20 trees. And he treated them all different. Some of them he put inside of a, an enclosure so the wind wouldn't touch it. Some of them he put inside of a a fence, some he put ropes on, some he put ropes all the way up as it grew, and, and all these, he did all these different things, and he waited 20 years, and after 20 years, he took all of the things off the trees that he had put on them. And there was only one, maybe I shouldn't say one, there was only one type of tree that remained standing at the end of the first year of having no supports or no protections. And it was the one that grew for 20 years with no supports and no protections. All the rest of them either blew over or broke off. Because it's the constant chaotic stressors of life, otherwise known as wind to a tree, that make us strong if we respond right. But I want to let you know that it's really a significant thing to run well. But if you don't run well, you probably won't finish well. You won't make it to the end. Um, I do have a bit of a background in, in athletics. And one of the things that you find is that over 80%, remember I talked about world-class runners? The only thing that separates world-class runners from winning and losing is their intention and their withstanding of pain. They're all fully human. They all have the same information to train by. They all train the hardest that they can. But the ones that can't stand pain are going to drop out. But over 80% of world-class runners don't cross the finish line at full speed. Isn't that interesting? 80, over 80% don't cross at full speed. One thing that I want to do is I want to cross full blast and increasing. <laughs> full blast and increasing. I want to do all I can, give it the best I got, and go, go all in. So... Some of the hazards of negligent running. We have a little town south, a little bit southwest of here called Leadville. Anybody know Leadville? 
Leadville. There's a race up there. What's it called? No. There's two of them. We have a Leadville 100 and a Leadville 50. What do you think the 100 and the 50 mean? Miles, right. So we have a guy. Let's see if I have the information here. No, I don't have his name right now. He was running the Leadville 100, and he was doing a great job. He was eight miles in front of the next competitor. I mean, he was really going after it. No, he wasn't that far ahead. He was probably six miles in front of the next competitor. But when he got to the 92-mile mark, he took a wrong turn. And 50 miles later, he concluded that he had gone the wrong direction. So he ran 150 miles. <laughs> Not only did he finish late, <laughs> but he didn't really even finish. He didn't pay attention. He was not aware. He didn't keep track. He didn't notice things. I, when I was in the military, I was at Fort Bragg, and we, I was in some of those types of military units that did a lot of physical fitness, and we had this one thing that we did several times a year, and it was called the Long Street Run. And the Long Street Run was an interesting street to run on because it was 20 miles long. It was straight, it was flat, it had no side roads, no mile markers, no landmarks, no buildings. It was all just that Piedmont part of North Carolina of scrub stuff, 20 miles long. Now, the interesting thing is, is that you never knew where you were. You could never tell how close you were to the end. How hard do I run? When do I start to kick? When do I, you know, am I, am I supposed to start out really fast? And then when do I slow down <laughs> enough so that I can still have what it takes to finish? That's why we're told to run with endurance. We have to have endurance to finish. But we're also told to run so as to win. Now, we can't have a guy come by and pick us up in a car and take us down to where you can see the finish line, we jump out of the car and finish, because it also says we're supposed to run according to the rules. I don't know if you remember the 1968 Olympics. It started with four times around the, the track in the Olympic Stadium, and then it went out and ran throughout, through the streets of the city, and then it came back in for four more times around the, the track, and that was the marathon, okay? So the, the guy, one guy started out really fast, man. He just took off, ran those four times, went around and out the door, out the gate, and he was on his way. Just so happens that as soon as he got out, he turned a corner and hid. And he had friends who were sitting out there who notified him, hey, they're coming back, you can get... So he jumps back onto the track, runs back in, goes around us four times, wins the race. And he ran two miles. He didn't run according to the rules. Not only did he get his gold medal taken away when they found out, 
he was restricted from any further um, international, world, or national competitions. He was restricted from ever competing again just because of that. Not a good way to do it. Not a good way to do it. So missing the mark. Matt Emmons was an Olympic marksman shooting a 22 rifle. And he had the gold medal in his pocket. They were on their last round, and all he had to do was get one round out of 12, one round on the target, and he would get the gold medal. And he shot an absolutely perfect round. I mean, perfect session. All 12 in the bullseye. Amazing except it was in the wrong lane. So he didn't even get an also shot. You know how this guy took first, this guy took second, this guy took third, and Dan also ran. <laughs> didn't even get that. Nothing. Completely disqualified. First time in Olympic history of a perfect competition. He hit every round that he fired in the entire competition. Perfect. But his last 12, they were, in, they were in lanes, and he was set up looking this way rather than forward, and he shot that target. He didn't finish well because he didn't run well. Hebrews talks about being weighed down by two things, weights and sins. Weights are not sin. Weights are dealt with by self-discipline. Sin is dealt with by repentance. Weight is dealt with by self-discipline. The word for self-control used in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and you probably heard Eric uh, talk about that word. Um, it's built on a word, krator, which is the Greek word for power or rulership, but it refers specifically to the right, the authority, the responsibility, and the privilege to control. And it is in the reflexive form you know, reflexive, we use reflexive pronouns in English, like myself. I cut myself. That's a reflexive pronoun. It reflects the action back on the, the object. And so, what that word, egritea, built on the word krator, says that you have as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, you have the right, the privilege, the power, and the authority to control yourself. But it makes no reference to the exercise of that. Isn't that interesting? It does not refer to you exercising it. What it says, like in First Peter, or in Second Peter 1, you have, you've been given everything you need. 
for life and godliness. You've been given everything you need. You have the right, you have the power, the privilege, the authority, the responsibility to control yourself. What is your job? To control yourself. That's why when Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 4.7, he says, exercise or discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Well, that word, discipline or exercise, is a different word than the one that, for self-control. Self-discipline is a different word. It's the word gymnasia, where we get our word gymnastics. And it's the highest and most extreme form of exercise in the Greek language. They were considered the peak of every type of physical activity. And they could run, jump, throw. They were agile. They, could, they were limber. They could do everything. And they exercised normally between 7 and 10 hours per day to maintain that. So I'm asking you, how does your exercise for the purpose of godliness look? Since you've been given everything you need for the purpose of life and godliness, are you exercising that? Paul says it really interesting in Acts 24, 16. He says, herein do I exercise myself daily to have always a conscience void of offense before God and before man. And I don't believe that means that his view was, all I have to do is just ask for forgiveness after I sin. That's how I keep my conscience clear. That's not what he was saying. He said, I exercise myself to not sin to not violate, to not offend. I exercise myself. And he says, I work hard at that daily. Greek has a, some funny ways of translating some things. Sometimes the, first, sometimes the uh, present indicative or the present imperative means that you do it now. You know, if I tell my son, sit down, I don't mean that he can do it sometime when he wants to, when he's feeling like it, it means now. But the other way is that it means whenever it's now. It's a continuous thing. When is it now? Now. Now is that little nanosecond wide line that converts the future into the past. And that's whenever it's now. That's when we exercise ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That's when we evaluate ourselves to see if we're in the faith. That's when we love one another. That's when we repent. It, whenever it's now. This is how we get from a good start to a good finish. This interim period is huge. I don't know how many of you realize it, but a divorce doesn't start the day that it's filed. A pastor's fall doesn't start the day it's exposed. It starts a long time earlier. 
It's during the running well time when people choose to not run well. So I want to encourage you guys. You have the opportunity, according to Hebrews, that whenever it's called today, to make a start. He says, today, whenever it's called today, don't harden your hearts. So as of today, from this point on, run well. And let it be said of you, like it says in Hebrews 11.6, these all died in faith. That's what I want to have written on my gravestone. He died in faith. Now, just like the long straight run, do you have any idea when you're going to die? Nope. Does it matter? If it matter, matters, there's a problem. If it doesn't matter, you're in good shape. It doesn't matter because it'll be in faith. That's what we're looking for. So let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the blessing of this life in Christ. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need, that you have done all that you need to do, and you have granted us everything that we need to do our part in following hard after you. Bless these students, Father, as they make this turn to a, a new lifestyle, a new commitment, a new devotion, that they would not allow there to be doubt, but wonder. That they would not allow their lives to be lives of pride, but they would humble themselves. Lord, bless them richly in Jesus' name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.